So, Blake, thank you for coming on today. We're excited to hear about culture and social influence from you. So first, I would love to hear about your upbringing, your story, and get to know you just a little bit better. Well, I can tell you this. I'm uh, of all people in this world. I'm closest to my mom. Uh, I was in a lot of ways raised by uh, a single mom. My parents got divorced when I was eight years old. Um, and my mom pretty much had full custody. I, I have a relationship with my dad. He's, you know, supportive of everything like that. Um, he just, his job took him to Los Angeles and I was in school and raised in Las Vegas. And so therefore I was just obviously raised by my mom, but, uh, it was funny, uh, in 2010 after the divorce was final and it was time to kind of figure out like, like okay, like what are we going to do? Uh, my mom learned how to do options trading. She had found uh, in one of our storage closets, we'd moved, you know, we lived in a house. And when I was young, young, I was raised in probably the least relatable manner of almost any human being. My first word in life was Elmo. And I was trying to say the word limo because uh, I took limos to and from school every day. That's all I knew. We didn't really have cars. My dad was uh, my uncle's right-hand man. He was, so my dad's official title when I was growing up is he was president of uh, Wynn Resorts. He was president of the Mirage. He was president of all the hotels. And my uncle, Steve Wynn, was obviously the CEO of the entire uh, organization. And so that's what I was raised around. We were really, really well off. Um, I lived in a massive home that's now actually for sale in Las Vegas for $29 million. It was certainly not for sale for that price when I was a kid, but uh, nonetheless, uh, when my parents got divorced, it went from living in a uh, 15,000 square foot house and getting driven around in limos and all this stuff. I mean, I was only, you know, six or seven or eight years old. So it's not like I really understood how bizarre that was it was that's all i knew right and then fast forward they get divorced everything like that and a year later my mom and i are living in a hotel trying to figure out what's next the divorce was final my dad wasn't around so it was all right like are you gonna you know my mom had to figure out what you could do for work uh i didn't necessarily have to figure out what i was gonna do for work i was in you know fifth grade or sixth grade at the time but i certainly didn't have you know hey mom can i like have cards or can I have this or whatever? Like, no, you can't, like, we don't have money. So, um, by happenstance, that's when I came across sneaker reselling and she learned how to become an options trader. And so for the last 10 years, she's been a very successful options trader. She now manages like several hundred million dollars worth of assets, not her own, obviously, but that's what she does. And, uh, and I've, uh, let sneaker reselling transition a number of times into, being an influencer, then being an agency owner, uh, which is now where I currently am uh, as CEO of Enclave and Key. So uh, it's been an interesting journey of figuring things out, you know, um, and, and, and totally, you know, uh, there's a value in your ability to reset your expectations, you know, because my expectation as a young kid was, hey, mom, can we go to Target after school? I want to get Pokemon cards. Sure go buy, you know, nothing crazy by like, you know, two packs for five bucks. But, you know, as a nine-year-old kid, it's like, holy crap, like I can just ask for the Pokemon cards and I can go get Pokemon cards. And then it went to, uh, all right, well, if I want to have a phone like my friends, or if I want to have some of these other things like my friends, like I have to earn it. And I was only 10 or 11. So luckily I figured out how to earn more than what lemonade stands and things of that nature would pay you. And so 
from the time I was 12, I paid taxes. Uh, you know, I, I, I earned my first hundred thousand dollars when I was uh, 14 years old. So, uh, I've just always had the luxury of my, uh, businesses and work life transition to, uh, being financially successful. And so for the better part of my life, all I've had the luxury of getting to think about is how can we be the best at blank? How can I be the best sneaker reseller? How can I be the best YouTuber? How can I be the best uh, agency? And uh, that has led to us being really successful. So maybe that answers the question from my background. I, like myself and probably like a lot of others did not know that about you. And I mean, some may already have a predisposed just because of the last name, a predisposed thought or story of you already. And I think that's why podcasts like these are amazing because you get to kind of see the backstory. You don't just see the the front and you you really learn that people are more alike each other than they think they are. And that's, that's awesome because I think that's where the drive comes from the, the hardships at the time. It sucks, but in hindsight, you're, you're, you're so blessed about it and you really appreciate it. I, I'd say I'd be, I'm like in the same boat. I mean, my, both my parents were war refugees. I have, wow. five older, yeah, I have five older sisters. So they came here from what country? Um, Laos. So they're Hmong. Okay. I'm sure most people don't know what uh, Hmongs are, but Lee from the Olympics, who won gold this year, she's Hmong. And and I think Hmong was a top search word on Google because they're like, who? Because other than California, Minnesota, Wisconsin, there's really not around. So they helped the the U.S. during the Vietnam War. They were, I guess, recruited by the CIA to help against the Viet Cong. Well, what happened was when it kind of like what happened, What's happening in Afghanistan right now? They left, and the Viet Cong, the Communist Party, was all right. You guys helped them. Well, it's game over. Well, fortunately, my parents were able to uh, come to the U.S., but they were already adults, so no English, no education. Uh, ended up having six kids. Whoa. Yep. So, like when I was growing up, I of course had friends of all different backgrounds, but I always knew where I kind of was. I kind of stood and at the time you're like, man, this sucks. I wish I was, but now looking at it, it's what built me. And it's honestly what kind of gave me the, the work ethic that I have and the appreciation and also the entrepreneurship part of not having money. I'm like, that's fine. I just, it's like normal for me. I'm good. Like I'm yeah. a very minimal person. Um, this is kind of compared from your story. It's those hardships really shape who you are. Yeah, 100%. And I'll even, you know, I'll take a step further. I mean, a lot of people always ask, you know, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, you were given this by your uncle or this by your parents or this by this. And why well, I tell people, first of all, no matter what I may have been given, I think everyone in life is born to a different set of circumstances. And that's just reality. And so I think penalizing someone for those circumstances is I don't think it's worth doing because at some point in time that it's going to, that person's either going to show that they're strong, they're capable and everything like that, or they're weak and they're not. And then that will reveal itself no matter how much money or access or whatever it may be that you have is. But what I tell people, as I say, as I just mentioned, uh, when my parents got divorced, my dad kind of left a picture of my life. Well, Steve is my dad's older brother, not my mom's. 
So as a result of that divorce, Steve also left my life completely. Uh, not in a bad way. There was just no reason to chat. I didn't talk to his younger brother, who was my dad. So why would I talk to him? And, uh, and so uh, for about eight years, from the time I was eight years old till the time I was 16, I did not speak to him one time. I didn't see him. I didn't hear from him. And it was, like I said, nothing bad. It's just how life was. At, in 2016, I started my YouTube channel. And the Review Journal, which is the local media outlet here in Las Vegas, they reached out to my uh, high school and they said, we want to do a story because one of your students has a business uh, and uh, he put it onto YouTube and it's got a million views. And my school approved it. And so I did this interview and I had never done PR before, you know, so I didn't. And this was a very traditional interview in 2016. So this reporter called me up, a guy by the name of Buck Wargo. He says, he says, you know, how are you? He starts asking me questions. So like, how much money does your business make? And I just told him straight up. And I'm, I'm only going to share it now uh, because of, I'll finish the story here. But I said, oh, I make about 120000 a year. He said, wow. He said, what kind of car do you drive? I said, oh, I have this Mercedes, CLA 250, brand new. Oh, how did you get that? I bought it with cash. You pay for the whole thing? Yeah. Did your parents help you? No. Uh, how do you do in school? I have a 4.0 GPA and I'm just telling him this stuff because I thought he was trying to contextualize me as an entrepreneur. This was supposed to be a small column on, uh, on the Thursday paper the following week. Sure enough, Sunday comes around and on the front cover of the entire newspaper, it says, is the success in the jeans or the sneakers? And it's my picture on the front and it became a three page editorial about my story and everything was included, how much I was earning, what kind of car I drove, the fact that I bought it, all this stuff. My school went nuts. I got called in the principal's office the next morning. What the hell are you saying to these people? You're going to, you know, this is dangerous that everyone knows this. You're 16 years old. Um, my mom, my mom found out about it. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, I mean, what, what are you doing? Right. Sorry for cousin. And I'm 16 and this piece comes out. So, well, I don't know. And uh, one of the questions he asked me, he says, uh, he says, how does your uncle impact your life? And like I said, I hadn't spoken to him in eight years and I didn't mean it disrespectfully, but I said, you know, but uh, by the time I'm done with the things I want to do in my life, Steve will be remembered as my uncle. And so in big, bold letters on this article is a quote from me that says exactly that Blake Wynn, Steve Wynn will be remembered as nothing more than my uncle, Blake Wynn big in the paper. So sure enough, as I'm getting literally in the middle of getting a lecture from my mom, and it wasn't my fault. I was 16. I had never done press before. I didn't know I should have told this guy, like, I'm not telling you that. I was just telling him because I thought he would need to know to draft the story. I guess I didn't think about it. Sure enough, a number I don't have in my phone calls me. Hello? Is this Blake? Yeah. Your uncle, Steve. How are you? I'm good. Anyways, listen, I saw your uh, article today. So I'm going to be remembered as your uncle, huh? So, well, you know, I didn't mean it disrespectfully or anything like that, but yeah, I, I'm, he said, you really believe that? I said, yeah, he's okay. He says, I'm here in Las Vegas. He says, come visit me tomorrow. Let's get dinner. So, okay, sure. So sure enough, I went, I had dinner with him the next day. And ever since we've had a great relationship. So in the last few years of my life, I've had a, the pleasure of having a great relationship with my uncle. He's kind of been an advisor to me at different points. He's never, you know, given me 
uh, you know, money and, or gifts or things like that. But his advice is second to none. And he's given me lots of it. And a lot of that has been responsible for why we've done the things we've done. But uh, to hopefully finally set the record straight about all that, there's the there's the exclusive. <laughs> and imagine being a 16 year old getting interviewed. And yes, everyone would make the same mistake as a 16 year old. I don't think there's not a lot of 16 year olds who would understand what the underlying, I guess, journalism was going to be about. No, of course. No, of course not. And I, you know, I had a, I had a girlfriend I was with for two and a half years. Like I didn't want her to know what I was earning. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, uh, I mean, my mom knew what I was earning and, and, you know, that's fine, but obviously I don't want the world knowing my income who would want that um, besides, you know, a professional athlete or something. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways that article still to this day bears weight because a lot of people were like it to, to the point I was making, it gave me credit as an entrepreneur, no matter how much my uncle could have in theory helped me. I was still doing real numbers on my own. I had real progress and everything like that. Not to mention the fact that he wasn't helping, but um, nor were my parents. My parents couldn't help. My dad wasn't running the picture. My mom's working. You know, I mean, we were in a life flipped on its head. There was no more big houses, no more limos. And you know what I mean? It was not like that at all. It was, uh, it was quite a bit different. And so, um, you know, I always got a real kick out of building things. That's why I switched so many times. That's why I went from sneakers to YouTube and YouTube to agency. I like building. I like, I like when it seems like, man, how the hell is this thing ever going to make money? And what the hell, how is this ever going to benefit someone? How is anyone ever going to look at this entity or channel or whatever it may be and, and say, wow, that process of figuring it out keeps me up at night. I like it so much. And so that's why I've always done what I've done. And I've, and honestly, people say, you know, they see the success, whatever. I, I'm so far from where I want to be that to me, when people say that, it's honestly, it's white noise to me. It's like, I understand it and I appreciate any kind words, but in your own head, especially as an entrepreneur, you're wired to be more competitive than most people could even comprehend. That's, you couldn't have said it any better. Honestly, you really couldn't have. And it's great because... This podcast is called The Creative Marketing Pivot. There's a reason why I put the pivot because I'm in the same boat. I've pivoted so much. Even with you, I felt like I was pivoting back and back and forth. And to, to others, they're like, Max is he's all over the place. But also they're like, but I think he's successful. I, I think he's doing well. And I'm like, uh, not good enough. Like, I'm still going. I'm not even anywhere close. Still learning. I'm still pivoting right now starting this podcast honestly it's because because one i love hearing other people's stories two i want to build a community within our industry from all i guess all different types of backgrounds because like i said people are more alike than they actually think they are and three i know i'm not the greatest at podcasting but i want to be good one day and that's why love it man and that's and that's exactly it is okay there's three options in life there used to be two now there's maybe three with the way the world works now Option number one, you can work however many hours a day you work, so be it, but you work, you trade those hours for dollars, and you could be really fulfilled, which I feel like isn't talked about enough. You can trade your hours for dollars and still be incredibly fulfilled, option one. Option two, you could sit at home, and with the way that 
uh, unemployment is structured and, and stimulus and all that stuff, you can get away with doing nothing. That's just the reality of America right now. And I'm not saying that I disagree with that by any means. It's just true. That's why it's so hard for companies like mine to hire, because you can get paid 4000 bucks to do nothing every month. So that $50,000 salary that used to be a nice starting salary for someone is now what you can get for nothing. So that's option two. And then there's option three, which is the option that only certain people could take, only certain people should take. And I think it's a personality type question. And it's one that you have to be honest with yourself about, but it's the option that you and I have selected, which is the option of never ending pivots, never ending problems, never ending thoughts of solutions. But every day is just a grind to see the next day, to begin the next project, to make the next pivot. And that's, and that's the entrepreneurial life. And I think it's one that has been glamorized a lot in the last, uh, call it 15 years, as entrepreneurs have become celebrities. You have your Elon, you have your Portnoy, your gates your you know people like my uncle like these people are celebrities because of how successful they are in business the flip side is is there is a trail of tens of millions of people who just couldn't do it who tried to do it but they just couldn't do it and uh that's okay and it shakes those people's confidence in a way that it shouldn't because the the quite literally the chemical makeup of an entrepreneur is a bit odd and it's not one that's worth seeking out. I would say it's almost in line with being a little bit, a little bit of a psychopath. And the reason I say that, and I, it sounds funny, but I'm so serious. The reason I say that is because you not only uh, are able to live with a built-in level of discomfort that exceeds the normal by a lot, but you actually can't live without that discomfort. As an entrepreneur, if you just don't have a business or you don't have something to do right in front of you and you're calm, even if you got a bunch of money, it doesn't matter. You'll be so uncomfortable because that normal discomfort is not existing. Like normal people are not wired that way. You know what I mean? And, and so that's the part that I tell people where I say, look, you want to be an entrepreneur. You want to start this business. You think I should do it? Is this a good idea? I say, it's a good idea. You know how little ideas matter? Like just the, the idea itself, you know how little that matters, you know, look at Postmates, look at Uber, look at these companies. It's like idea, like these are some of the simplest ideas. Now think of this, Uber exists, now Lyft exists, Postmates exists, now DoorDash exists. Those companies didn't even have ideas. They just looked and said, oh, that's good. I'm going to do it and I'm going to rebrand it and I'm going to try to do it better, which is why I make the argument that marketing is the most important thing. So as an entrepreneur, I've doubled down. I've gone for the uh, hardest niche and I've done it as a business owner. And it's because to me, it's the biggest challenge. And that's what I seek. That's what my personality type gets excited about. And that's, uh, that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, can relate to. But a lot of people listening to it are like, no, it can't be true. No, it is. And I think it's okay to say that it's not for everyone. It really isn't. No. Well, a lot of times it's, it sucks, but it's that, like you said, there's, it's like an addiction to the process. It's an addiction to the grind of having the optimism of where your direction is. The two most important thing with me was optimism and consistency. Well, I had a third one, not relying on social, I guess, social approvement when I was building my 
company and it wasn't really successful yet. A lot of people are like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, gotta, gotta go. But if I was a person that I cared about my success level on other people's eyes, I would not have made it. Or on paper, it's it's iffy, but in my head, it's like, I'm going, I'm going to get it. That's a huge difference too. And in the consistency every day, sometimes overnights, a lot of times overnights, but I shouldn't say that. My, I told my girlfriend I'll stop doing that, but, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of overnights, a lot of sacrifice. Hard. I think, yeah, it's been glorized entrepreneurship, but the success has been glorized. Not the, not the work, not the struggle, not the sacrifice. Uh, I'll tell you the way it was told to me. It was told to me very recently by, by my uncle, actually. I'll tell you the way it was told to me. It was told to me very recently by, by my uncle, actually. He says, one thing that people don't talk about entrepreneurship is it's the dark side of ambition. So the dark side of ambition is what being an entrepreneur uh, means about 85% of the time, maybe as much as 90% of the time. And it's the thought that um, as you build a hotel and it's a successful hotel, well, what about all the time that he had to spend away from his family? What about all the time that he had to pitch investors and they said, no, this is stupid. All the times that uh, clients of theirs said, you know what, we actually are going to pull out of this deal. You know, I mean, there's so much that contributes to the dark side of ambition that the only thing that social media glamorizes is the light side of ambition, the Bill Gates, the Elon Musk. But what about a guy like, like you were successful with Max Yang and Kobo, let's say you weren't, right? Or, you know, if you weren't, uh, there would never be any time for you to have your moment in the sun. Yet that moment you have in the sun, when it comes at its peak, because it's come in bits and pieces as I've even seen, but it hasn't come in its full, full force the way that it will for you shortly, I'm confident. It's not going to really mean that much to you. And that's okay because you won't care. You didn't do it for that reason. People on social media, though, will think, man, I got to give this guy his props because that's probably what he did it for. And it's like the, the thought process between entrepreneur and the average person looking at it, it's no different than uh, speaking uh, Chinese in Argentina. It's two, di it's two things that are so different and so uncomprehendable to the uh, each individual party that it's it's almost hard to even discuss beyond that you don't like to and i've kind of as a marketer obviously i had to kind of force myself but i've came to the conclusion to have fun with it i've been just having fun posting content just creating random videos things like that and it's not for social acceptance it's really it's it's for the grind and it's it's very important in today's digital world that you also build a brand and sometimes entrepreneurs and b2b's building a personal brand can assist you reaching that goal too yeah i mean look i mean if you if you need social acceptance try to be an influencer try to be a celebrity there's a very real path to be successful i mean there, there's not enough there's millions of case studies from the Charlie D'Amelio's of the world, to the Addison, to Dude Perfects, to uh, Jake Paul, Logan Paul. I mean, there's millions of them, uh, but that's not entrepreneurship. Those people aren't businesses. Those people are celebrities and they're quasi-celebrities uh, initially. And then at some point they break through enough and stay relevant long enough that they truly become uh, celebrities. You know, like Charlie D'Amelio's 
in my opinion, without a doubt, a true A-list celebrity at this moment in time. And she will be for years to come, you know, but she didn't do that because she wanted to build a business. But I was thinking about this today uh, with influencers. And you, you can say I'm wrong because this is just my opinion. Influencers right now okay. have okay. more impact on consumer decisions other than fashion than celebrities do right now in today's age. They have more impact on, cons- I guess, consumer decisions because where are the consumers really on? Even my parents, they're, they're, they're on social media. I'm going to say... I was going to say, I mean, like, those are, those are, you know, a lot of cases are two in the same, right? It's like is someone an influencer or someone a celebrity, right? Because Charlie D'Amelio is an influencer, but she has 160 million followers. That's, to put it in perspective, four times the amount of Twitter followers that Donald Trump had as president on Twitter. So it's like you can't say that that person's just an influencer, right? That is a legit celebrity. Okay. But in terms of just converting on products, do I think that it's fair to say that an influencer with a really engaged niche specific following with a million followers could convert better for uh, a jewelry company than uh, a regular NFL player whose name more people might know? A hundred percent, yes, the influencer would convert better. Now, think about the all-time situations of celebrities and brands. Kanye West and Adidas, Kanye West and Gap, Kim Kardashian and, and, uh, and Skims, Kylie Jenner and her makeup line. Those people are celebrities more so than influencers, I would say, but they have real influence. And what those people have done Addison Ray couldn't do that for the next several years if she dreamed of it, right? Like Addison Ray could not sell lipstick like Kylie Jenner in any situation. Now, tits, let's take uh, Jake Paul, for example. Jake Paul has truly broken through to be an A-lister. Therefore, when he gets in the boxing ring with Nate Robinson or Ben Askren or even a uh who was it no was it wilder no it wasn't wilder it was uh uh woodley woodley yeah when he gets in the ring with woodley it was the eighth most successful pay-per-view event of all time it beat out some mcgregor fights it beat out some fury fights beat out all that stuff because as an influencer he brought an entirely different market to a sport that never had it before the average age of a ufc viewer previously was probably 30 when jake paul fights it, it might be 18 you know, so there's openings for influencers to do certain things, but A-listers will always have power. And I think you could make the argument that A-listers are either celebrities or brands, but I'll give you another example. Um, I would say uh, Jim Parsons is an A-list celebrity, Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory, right? He's been on a lot of shows. I mean, that's one of the most successful sitcoms of all time. James Spader, from the blacklist is another show that had 10 seasons. I mean, very well-known name, uh, Steve Carell from the office, like hugely famous people. They probably couldn't sell any products. You know what I mean? So it, it it's very hard. It, it, it's, it's not a definite answer to that question. 
it's a case by case thing. And that's why agencies like ours are so important because if a company comes to Steve Carell, they might think, man, this A-lister is going to kill it for us. But I might be able to explain to that brand why an in, a 19-year-old influencer from Los Angeles, California, who they've never heard of before, could be worth 20 times more to their brand than Steve Carell will be. And instead of paying Steve Carell a million bucks, this influencer is only 2,500. So it, there's, it's, it, there's way too many nuances to say, this is how it is in this situation, and this is how it is in these circumstances. It's, it's very, very gray. I mean, you know, if I had to pick an all-time, I would say Kanye West is probably the all-time influencer. Like you said, what he said, but he always found a way to be relevant. He always found a way to catch your attention, and that's how he won the presidency. Yeah, and he's going to give it another go in 2024, it seems like. And he's got his own social media platform he just launched. Like, there, there has never and debatably will never be a marketer like Trump to ever live again. No, no. Now, going off of that, kind of like the pause, they've kind of found success through, I guess, negative PR. What do you think about positive negative PR as a, I guess, a marketer or if you're trying to build your personal brand? Is that is that? I think as an influencer, it's sustainable. As a company, you'd be nuts. As a company, to put yourself in a crisis management or rather to put yourself in a crisis situation like that requires crisis management is stupid. Do I think uh, Facebook is going to look like a... a superhero when meta becomes just as big and 10 times bigger than facebook ever was sure because they were going to be bigger and bigger and bigger anyways because no one cares facebook's too important to everyone's life no one's ever you know at scale people aren't going to get rid of facebook you know what i mean so it's like you can be mad you can whatever but if i you know max yang and co do i think it would have been in in your interest to have negative pr no not in any world do I think it's in Jake Paul's best interest? Yes. Do I think some negative PR could do Charlie D'Amelio some good? Yes, I do. Now, here's where I, here's where it gets very, very dicey. By negative PR, I don't mean what John Gruden just did and and be racist or homophobic. That's not negative PR. That's you'll get canceled and rightfully so. That's being a complete right. idiot and mismanaging your role in society as a figurehead. Now, do I think that there's some merit to Jake Paul going to McGregor and saying, you're, you know, you're a bitch and I'm going to kick your butt and all this other stuff. And, and a lot of people are on sports center, like what the heck is Jake Paul talking about? Stephen A. Smith, how the heck Jake Paul going to say he could beat Conor McGregor, right? That's good negative PR because people are talking about you and you didn't have to pay. Do you know Hil Hillary Clinton in 2016? had virtually no chance to beat Trump because no matter how much money she raised all day, every day, every station, Trump, 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 right? So no matter how much he spent on ads, it was watch the news. This is the Trump show. And then when it was commercial breaks, that's when Hillary got talking time because it was her ads. And then it was back to Trump, back to Trump, back to Trump, back to Trump. And the only time we talked about Hillary is Trump said this is about Hillary. You know, Hillary said this is about Trump and Trump came back three times harder and said something else. Right. And it's like it's like the other thing about bad PR at scale 
And this is a very tough thing to pull off. Trump pulled it off. I think Dave Portnoy pulled it off. I think Dave Chappelle has pulled it off. Is getting so much bad press that it almost doesn't matter. The Nelk boys have sort of gotten this kind of style of press. Dana White, right? Where it's like Jake and Logan, I would say, have this where there's so much bad press that bad press becomes no longer harmful. It just becomes the next story. So you don't, you know, Trump doesn't have crisis management to deal with because no matter what the heck he does, he'll just do something else the next day and that'll become the news cycle. You know, there was that whole tape of, you know, the grabber, you know, by the blank, right? Right. I mean, imagine the president of the United States saying that, but then the next day, he said something else about Hillary or he said something about how Mexico is going to pay for the wall or whatever it is. And then boom, it's like, he never said it. It just became the next issue and the next issue and the next issue. And so that is also a means of doing PR, but man, I mean, you got to be real. First of all, you got to be really famous to be able to even do that. Also, you have to do things that don't get you canceled, which I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you avoid that. I mean, it's getting tough, right? I mean, it's like, Certain things you deserve it, but man, like Charlie D'Amelio, this is what I tell people a lot to give you a sense of the amount of pressure that these people have. If you go on TikTok, the, when the George Floyd stuff was going on in your backyard in Minnesota, um, Charlie D'Amelio made her TikTok profile photo, Black Lives Matter, right? Text. That's still her profile photo. Okay. I bet. Charlie really deeply cares about Black Lives Matter. It's an important movement. I also think that as 13 months have now passed since this issue, I have a funny feeling she probably wants to change her profile picture back to a photo of herself or something else. But the day she does that, boom, every BLM person, you don't give a shit about this anymore and this and this and this. It's like, that's probably not even true. She probably does, but just want to change it. So that's still her profile photo. And she's probably stuck with it because of the fear of being canceled because Charlie's brand is so G rated that it's heavily dependent on no bad press. You know what I mean? So it goes both ways. There, there are a different, there is a huge difference. Like someone like Charlie, very cancelable. Something like, I mean, even look at John Gruden. I don't know if it's called cancelable, but then there's the other side. Oh, Gruden's done. You'll yeah. never see him as a coach, as an announcer, nothing. I mean, he's white. But then you have like, the, the, the Trump, and then you have the Pauls, and like you said, the, even the Nelk. But they've they put themselves in the situation, and they've they've kind of branded themselves in that way where it's expected out of them. And yeah, and where their followers are actually people who wouldn't cancel them for those reasons. They actually follow them for yeah. those reasons. And, 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 and I think intent is important too. I mean, look, I mean, there's a real argument to be made that Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the NFL. Probably one that I would actually make, but let's say he's top five. You got a lot of fans. His trading cards go for as much as anyone's besides Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Uh, he's awesome, but he has a, his Twitter history that came out the day before the draft, which made him fall several spots. He like, I think he used like an anti-gay slur or something like that. I don't remember what it was specifically, but when he was like 12 to 13 years old, so he was a young kid when he did it. Um, 
And so ultimately he was able to apologize and come back from it and become very successful and, and very beloved. He does a lot of great charity work and everything like that. So it's not to say that making a mistake is not okay. You can make a mistake, but what happens when you make that mistake? Gruden made that mistake and he said, I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's like, John, buddy, you use some real slurs there to your bosses. You you, got to be willing to talk about it and apologize and take real ownership and figure out what you're going to do. He didn't want to do that. So he got wiped off the face of the planet. Um, You know, but there's guys like Josh Allen who bounced back. There's, uh, you know, I'm sure. uh, I mean, like, I I mean, the the way that they're digging up tweets, it's like everyone, I'm sure, said something that they will come to regret at some point in time, Uh, whether it's. on Xbox, in group texts, on tweets, on, you know, Finsta, you know, whatever it may be. But what do you do once you're exposed? You know, Think about Trump this. took an interesting approach. Trump said, it's fine. Fuck it. I'm doing what I want to do. Right. And, pe- and people were like, oh, okay. <laughs> and they accepted it. So what about a person like me? So with Josh Allen... They've already hit the, that success. Donald Trump, they've already hit the success. But someone who's emerging, someone who hasn't really, I guess, I wouldn't call it peak, but they're they're still on the ride up. I don't know if like a tweet that I would say 10 years ago, I don't know if I would be able to recover from that as a looking at it from a perspective of a line where I'm at. I would take it a step further. I'm not necessarily sure that you would deserve to recover from that. And let me say this to your point, exactly what you said, as you're emerging, if something like that comes out, it could be catastrophic. Well, think about an individual's odds of emerging. They're so low. So many people deserve it that are never going to emerge. Some of the most talented people in the world are never going to be discovered. Some of the most talented people in the world, never mind, won't get discovered. They won't even get to try. Because they might be uh, in a situation where they can't even afford a phone or they can't, you know, you, there, there's so much that exists there, right? So if you're lucky enough that you are emerging and you do something boneheaded and you don't make a real effort to come back from it, then I don't think you should be able to come back from it, right? I mean, that, that would be my opinion. But um, let's say you had a scandal. Well, I mean, Obviously, I'd have to know what that scandal is. I'm also not a crisis management expert by any means. It's not my forte, nor do I have I ever been in one or plan on being in one. Um, but uh, you know, if I if you know if it was uh, there, basically what I was what I'm getting at here is there's always a way to do good to try to come back from it if you actually have good intentions in your heart. The problem, let's going back to Gruden. The reason he didn't want to apologize is he probably meant what he said. Even now, he probably still means it, which is why he didn't really apologize. Right. So it's like your heart isn't any more pure than what you just got exposed for. So deal with it. Exactly. You know? And I also want to say that I didn't. I don't have any tweets that are going back. <laughs> it was an example. I just want to say that because also a big thing when Oliver Shinkton was my leadership teacher as a senior he made sure he said all of you go through your social media and you have to audit it right now 
And when we went through, while some of the things weren't, I guess, like racist or homophobic, but they were things that were not appropriate that would affect us getting hired at a job that we would have wanted outside of college, things like that. A lot of things that do hinder people that a lot of people experience. And we're thankful for that. And also kind of going back to where with the the true character of you, I think people can tell if you're truly sorry, if you're if if you will truly own up to it, even if people say they're sorry and pe- people can tell if you're not genuine about it. Yeah, I think a, a great example is Logan with the what happened in Japan with him, you know, he spent 12 months doing thing after thing after thing trying to recover from that obviously there's some selfish reasons that go into that like his brand is his life but he also meant it so people went for it there's some people that'll always hate logan and so be it but there's a lot of people who love him again right and there's a lot of new people who have just discovered him who have then had to go back and research like all right this person i really like like I heard they have a scandal. What is it? And they'll research it and you'll never be able to remove that blemish, but it's a really, in my opinion, neat part of a, of a person's story. If they have a hardship like that and they do bounce back and get through it. Right. hundred percent. So as you growing up with kind of a name and a YouTube, what troubles have you kind of ran into, I guess, being more, famous you would say as an individual i uh i think the hardest thing for me was when i wanted to stop and i felt really bad that i wanted to stop you know because i think uh something that i think a lot of youtubers and influencers as a whole take it take for granted at scale is the fact that there's in my case it was hundreds of thousands almost millions hundreds of thousands of people on a daily basis who were giving me eight to 12 minutes of their day every day just to see what I was talking about. Never mind the fact that that's what was putting money in my pocket, giving me my business, everything like that. I mattered a lot to them. And my content was providing them with entertainment after school that they may have hated or after work, which they might not have liked or after a tough day or after a breakup or when they're in the hospital because they're sick. I heard all these different kinds of stories. Right. Um, One day, because I no longer felt like it and I wanted to stop making videos, I felt really bad. I was like, man, how these kids, they cared for two years. And because I don't care as much anymore about the creation of the video, they're going to lose out on this. And that it really made me feel horrible. Um, but I also, uh, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's got to be able to look themselves in the mirror and be happy with what they see before they worry about anything else. In my opinion, it sounds selfish. It's not. And here's why I say it's not. If I wasn't happy with myself when I looked in the mirror, then over time, the content I was going to make would start to suck and it would start to be something that people didn't like. And my relationship with my mom would get would be tarnished because I would be short with her. And my relationship with my significant other would be harder and harder to come by because I'd be unhappy. So I think everything starts with your own happiness and your own confidence and things like that. 
And so uh, ultimately I made the decision I did to step away from it. And I don't regret it for a day, but I do uh, think about all those people who I sometimes don't, you know, create content for and, and things like that. And it, it makes me feel bad, but for me, it's all a part of my journey and I just have to accept it for what it is. And I think the people who really did grow uh, to support me can continue to support me uh, as I've transitioned to Enclave and uh, to the whatnot app and to all these sorts of different things that I've, you know, gotten myself into in the last several years. And who knows what the future holds, but uh, I, I think if you place enough importance, especially as an entrepreneur, on your own happiness and, and mental well-being, everything else will be just fine. Right. And obviously, I would think that someone who watched your content and really cared and really appreciated you would appreciate seeing you grow as a person too, seeing you pivot and do much more. And I think as someone who would care about someone, that's what I would want to see. It's, it might suck that you might not put out that, uh, the content they used to like, but at least you have the great memories of it too. And, but you also can see that you're out doing much more and maybe one day you can help out even more people where for where it takes. Yeah. And, and honestly, that that is that's my intention. You cannot help other people if, if you can't help yourself first. It's one hundred percent. And it goes with business. Question. Yeah. And it goes with business. As a business, I can't hire anybody and help them out if my business can't help itself out. You can't lead if you can't follow. Exactly. So you do, it does not, it's, I don't think it's selfish as long as your intent with other individuals isn't selfish, but you do have to take care of yourself. You have to make sure that you are okay because that a little bit part of the entrepreneurship is that you kind of realize it's, you're on your own a little bit. You have friends and family that love you. Of course, of course, I know I have friends and family that love me, but at the same time, I kind of know that I'm, I still have to, it's, a, it's me in the world, not like a, I guess not in a negative way, but it's, hey, I have to go do something. I have to go build something on my own. Well, I'll tell you this as an entrepreneur, if you have a workforce of any size, one person to 800,000 people, that's what's most important. Your people are most important, more than your business, more than honestly, your clients, more more than yourself in more situations than you can count are the people because if you have a vision that's convincing enough and a story that's strong enough that people are willing to follow it and buy into it you owe it to them to see that through so with youtube that's part of it too is i was a one-man show you know for the most part and i you know i had editors and stuff but i was pretty much a one-man show so i did what i did i would never just get up and walk away from enclave First of all, it's a lot different. It's a, you know, it's a business, not an influencer platform. But even so, uh, I owe it to the people here to see this thing through, even if I didn't want to anymore. And uh, the sentiment of caring about workforce is obviously one that's being adopted more widely as of late. You know, Netflix does a great job. Uh, DraftKings does a great job. I mean, businesses are more and more starting to do that. But the businesses that are nine to four, yeah, you get your benefits, but that's it. You come in, you do your stuff and you go home, they're going to have a tough time keeping a workforce because it's going to, you're going to have to have some bells and whistles and, and, and you're going to have to really, really actively give a crap about your people 
more than anything else. And I don't think a lot of businesses do that. And I think that's another thing that's really undervalued as in the entrepreneurial conversation that exists is, is the importance of the workforce. It's all these quotes and shit on Instagram that you see. It's all about what mindset you should be in, how you should do things. Well, what about all the other people that make it possible? You know, you know how many yeah. people are behind Bezos? You know, I think, I think that's a big role in our labor shortage right now too. Of course, the um, unemployment, but I think a huge role is the work culture because being studying economics, you think about utility. Utility just isn't money. Utility is, are you happy at work? Do they care about your work? Do you have room for growth? And I think a lot of individuals, especially after the pandemic, they realized they don't and they are pivoting towards, I guess, this is going to be a huge shift. And I think this is a really big shift that we don't even know what's going to happen, but I've been seeing a little bit more of a pivot towards gig entrepreneurship work, even if it's a side gig, but because they've kind of realized that one, they find room for growth there Two, They find utility and freedom and three, they could kind of create their own culture instead of going to work and hating their nine to five, they can work and, create their own environment. And I think that's playing a huge role in our labor shortage right now too. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I guess when you're so going on with that, you're seeing more entrepreneurs. So as Enclave, you're probably going to see more small businesses um, looking for influencers and someone who was in that spot and that understanding, what can you expect from an influencer as an ROI, not just saying monetary. And how do you explain that to a small business that it is a good ROI, even if they don't have the sales that you know they may have expected from the influencer? Uh, it isn't necessarily. You know, I think it's really important in marketing not to sit there and be a salesman. And uh, it's so important that your client understands what to expect. I have the contracts we send out right at the top, all caps, bolded in red, highlighted in yellow. It'll say, we don't guarantee a single conversion, a single ounce of value. And the reason I say that is because obviously you're going to get some value, but they might not convert. I think one of the most valuable tools that influencers can give a brand is the R&D component. It, they, they can tell you a lot about your market and your demo that you might not have already known about it. Um, I think if you select the proper influencers, you're going to get conversions and everything like that. But if you don't, that's that that's part of it. Same if you ran an ad campaign and didn't get conversions or if you put a TV commercial out and no one came to your store afterwards. Any aspect of marketing is, is a risk um, there. Anyone who guarantees you ROI is lying or they're guaranteeing, guaranteeing you such a low floor of ROI that they can probably guarantee it beyond a reasonable doubt, right? So we can do that too. So, um, you know, like when you had Frosty Chains, for example, and it was jewelry, I, you know, gave you a set of influencers where I said, look, these people would be great to market jewelry for these number of reasons. And this is a value it'll give your brand. And this is why I would do it. But if you don't want to do it, I'm not going to shove it down your throat. Don't do it, you know? And it was as simple as that. And I think that's really important. Um, and that's something that's pretty unique to Enclave is that it's very like, look, we can do this if you want. And if you don't, we're not going to push it on you. 
And I think that's how you have to sell influencers because of the gray area on the ROI side. Like that's the truth. Anyone who tells you differently, they might be able to, to, you know, they might've memorized the sound bite that sounds better than what I just told you, but what I just told you is the truth. That, that's a hundred percent. Right. And that's one thing that back when I was with Rossi chains, I really appreciated was talking to Brock and just the genuine authentic care that he presented as as a salesman, as someone who would have expected to right. have him as a salesman. And honestly, that that was a huge role of my respect for just Enclave, Rock, you, the whole, I guess the whole culture of it. And that really what kind of drove me to even kind of seek out to 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 get some mentorship from you too. Yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to, to give you some mentorship and see you grow and, and everything like that. And, and, and uh, what you're sharing does mean a lot. I mean, that's what we're here for is, is nothing more than to help because the difference is, is I can't tell you a number of times. I mean, my business is built on the number of phone calls we've had where I say exactly that and they go, okay, I can buy into that because that's true. I can buy into honesty. Here's 50,000 a month, you know, let's try this. That's so much better than let me sell you, sell you, sell you, sell you. And then we're going to fall 80% short of what I sold you on. And then what, what do I, what am I supposed to say to you? Uh, yeah. Uh, so that happened and, uh, it's because I misled you and, uh, I don't know why you're surprised. Like, you know what I mean? Like how horrible of a conversation is that, you know? So, um, we uh we stay away from it at all costs. Right. It it may it may be sweet in the short run, but in the long run, it's 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 not good for your brand, and it's just not good just in general with, from both parties. So yeah, yeah, and that's awesome. Um, I'm gonna try to probably wrap this up, but one thing for our listeners, can you give us with the holiday season coming up a marketing strategy or tip to to find a little bit more supplement to their business or e-commerce or whether it's small or big, but more of the B2C side, I'd say. Okay. On the B2C side, before I give you a tip, I'm going to give you something to watch out for. Do not oversell. There are real supply chain issues as any entrepreneur listening to this understands. And what you don't want to do is spend a bunch of money marketing for Black Friday or for the holidays then have the campaign go really well. So you sell a ton of stuff and then 70% of the orders go unfulfilled or are backordered for so long because you can't meet the demand because as soon as that happens, you'll never get a return customer. In any successful business, if the lifetime value of a customer is one transaction, uh, unless you're selling houses or maybe cars, you're screwed. You can't do it. If, if every person who ever bought... Uh, something from Frosty Chains was guaranteed to only ever purchase one thing one time, your business would be a never-ending sales cycle. So what I would encourage businesses to do is, number one, make sure that you can fulfill anything that's sold, because I think that's something that a lot of businesses are going to be are, are going to fall short on, and it is going to hurt when that happens, number one. Now, in terms of a tip, let's say supply chain is not an issue for you. I would say Obviously, there's the standard, obviously, do your Black Friday deal, do your Cyber Monday deal, um, maybe even do some Christmas deals. But I would uh, 
I would go even a step further and figure out, and again, my mind always goes to influencers, but I would figure out how you could take whatever you're offering and level it up. So let's say you're a makeup company. Why not do a limited edition holiday Christmas collab with a big TikToker? If you're a, a sock company, why not do a limited run with a YouTuber, right? Why don't you not only have certain people who are going to be your marketers market for you, but do a collaboration with them and make it a holiday exclusive. And if you make it a holiday exclusive, you have a good excuse if it doesn't go well, or you have a good fallback if it doesn't go well. Uh, you know, you can say, oh, I did this sock with this guy and it didn't do that well. It was a holiday exclusive. But if it does go well, you can say we had this holiday exclusive and it did a six figures for us and it's huge and it's, you know, blah, blah. So your uh, downside is limited. Your upside is not. Uh, it's unlimited. So uh, I, I would explore doing a collaboration if you're a product and just chalk it up to being nothing more than a holiday exclusive. It's something that we're trying to do with our clients now. Right. And it goes, falls right into culture, social influence. You heard it right there. Really yes, good. Sir. Yeah, thank you, Blake. I really appreciate you coming coming through. It was a great time and it was awesome getting to know you better. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me, Max. And if I uh, can help you with any guests or coming back myself or anything like that, you uh, don't hesitate to let me know. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you, Blake. 